There's formal power, the type you get by winning an election or getting appointed CEO. Then there's informal power, the kind you assert on your own out of nowhere. It's the power that sits deep inside your body, a raw natural resource, kind of like a volcano, dormant most of the time, but brimming with potential energy. That kind of power, it's in everyone. It just depends on how and when you let yourself erupt. My whole entire body was on fire. Physically, I was just exhausted. Gabby Pacheco let herself erupt. She was an undocumented immigrant supposed to live in the shadows. Instead, at age 24, she forced herself into the room where decisions get made. She cornered the American president. The result? Legal protection for nearly one million undocumented people like her. She made DACA happen. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Arthi Shahani. This is Art of Power. Today, Gabby Pacheco's long walk to freedom. Literally, Gabby walked 1,500 miles from Miami, her hometown, to Washington, D.C. Meet the young woman behind one of the most decisive civil rights victories in contemporary America. New Year's Day, the year 2010, Miami-Dade College. Well, Leon, these four college students and plenty of supporters are going to be walking through here at any moment, and it's on their way. Gabby Pacheco is surrounded by cameras. I was so scared. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was about to do, and my biggest fear was that I was never going to see my family again. But I knew that... It needed to be done. You know, I, I needed to move forward. Gabby is undocumented in her prime working years, an accomplished college graduate with basically nowhere to go. She's living in an impossible contradiction. Culturally, she is American. Legally, she is not allowed to be or work on American soil. The only place that she's ever called home is not really home. She has to fight for it constantly. I hope by now the American people understand the need for comprehensive immigration reform is a clear need. Throughout Gabby's childhood, she'd see politicians on TV say they were going to pass a bill for young people like her, so-called dreamers, who came to America as children and had no papers. And I will make it a top priority in my first year as president. But none of the politicians delivered. This walk was her attempt to get their attention, to shame them into action. She wasn't walking alone, though it was hardly a mass movement. She had three friends with her, Juan Rodriguez, Carlos Roa, Felipe Matos. Let's call them Gabby's team. A 1,500-mile walk. We started back in Miami. We're going all the way to Washington, D.C. The walk wasn't Gabby's idea. When Felipe, whom you just heard, asked her, 
hey, you want to walk? She was all in. Dozens of other dreamers? They said, hell no. We were asking a lot. We were asking people to stop working. We were asking people to put their names out there, be um, potentially put themselves in deportation, um, put themselves out in the eyes of the world. They called their walk the Trail of Dreams. That's a play on the Trail of Tears, when Native Americans were forced to march west and abandon their homes. The Dreamers worked their way up the Florida coast. These students believe that despite the bad weather, the blisters, the 15 miles a day, that each step will be leading what they call their country in the right direction. 72 miles in, West Palm Beach. They don't have a lot of money. They're relying on the support of communities along the way. People hear about their walk because Gabby's team sends email blasts to local news, politicians, nonprofits. A group of Guatemalan day laborers stopped by the march route. And then they did a collection for us. They hosted dinner slash fundraiser. And I remember that they gave us this little tank and there was like maybe like $86 in quarters, dimes and nickels. And I was like, no, 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 like we can't take this. But they felt like, you know, we were their hope. Gabby's team mostly slept in churches and an RV that followed them on the trail. Those coins helped pay for food and gas. 772 miles, Gwinnett County, Georgia. Gabby's team is getting hate messages and death threats from white supremacists, the KKK. Letters and stuff telling us that our family was going to find us uh, underground like roadkill. Other migrants in this part of Georgia... They're getting racially profiled by the local police. They're arrested driving while brown. They're afraid to call police when they get beaten up or mugged. They tell Gabby Pacheco their stories. She decides it's time to pick a fight. Butch Conway, the Gwinnett County, Georgia sheriff. Sheriff Butch Conway is on a campaign to hand over immigrants to ICE. Conway wants a zero-tolerance policy for anyone here illegally who comes into his jail. Automatically, if they commit a crime, they should go. Why do you decide to make this man's office one of your stops? What we wanted to do was to shame, in essence, that sheriff who is supposed to keep people safe. At the end of the day, what he was doing was the complete opposite. He was creating fear and people were not calling the police when they needed to because they were afraid of him. So how did he respond to you coming over to his office? <laughs> he just didn't show up. He, in essence, he cowered. And cowered because, I mean, the other thing he could have done is frankly not speak us. to you, but arrest you. Oh, he right? could have totally arrested us. We were publicly saying we were undocumented, that we didn't have papers. And so we called his bluff. He had this big billboard sign, you know, saying, oh, you know, I'm going to arrest the illegals and et cetera. So we were like, OK, if you're going to do that, arrest us. Uh, what grounds are you going to arrest us? Go ahead. If you're saying that you're going to do this, do this now. And And he didn't. And the fact that he didn't. That, you know, as you say, you called his bluff. What did that prove? What was the impact of that? So for us, what was important was to show the community the power that they have. Just because they don't have documentation doesn't mean that they don't have the right to due process. We have the right to due process. The Constitution protects us as well. 
908 miles, somewhere around Greenville, South Carolina. A group of young kids holding a very large Confederate flag come to harass Gabby's team. They were trying to bother us and they were, you know, inching at us and poking at us. We kept talking to them and little by little we started cracking jokes and, you know, we did talk about the Confederate flag and why it was so important to them and we were like listening and it was just having conversations with them and Next thing you know, they're quietly folding the flag and putting it away in, in this book bag. That's um, so, I mean, like, I'm, like, literally visualizing that. And then also just kind of frankly thinking about it in today's context, because that flag has become f- such a flashpoint. I don't know, Gabby. I just, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine uh, if that would even be possible today. I think so. This moment with these kids, it illustrates what exactly is so powerful about the long walk. Historically, when you look at big movements, you look at the civil rights movements, there's walks there. You will have forced a slow, dignified, and stately march. When you look at the farm worker movement, the movements in India, right? They all had this component of walking. And biblically, if you look at, for example, Moses and walking, you know, to the promised land, there's something very human, but also historic in this whole idea of you putting your body through physical exhaustion in a way to show others, right, how much you want something. Mm how much you need something. Nine hundred thirty-nine miles. The Appalachian foothills. We walked in snow and that was another thing that for four Miamians feeling your fingers almost falling off because you you just can't keep yourself warm. It's cold. Their feet hurt. It was real. So um tell me a little bit about your gear, your kids from Miami, did you know about the winter? Were you prepared for it? <laughs> so we had been told that for blisters, the best thing to do was to use duct tape and to duct tape our feet, you know, wherever we would have these these blisters because obviously they wouldn't rub each other. It was good for the rubbing, but at the end of the day, when we had to take the duct tape off, we were taking chunks of our feet and <laughs> our skin off. Mm-hmm. So... A podiatrist said the best thing you need is lightweight walking shoes, like what you use to hike. And mm-hmm. hike, we don't even have mountains. Our, the only mountains we have is like trash mountains you know, in, here in Miami. So we had no clue what, you know, hiking boots and, and shoes were. Mm. And we didn't have money. And so we had to take turns into buying the shoes. And not only was I the only woman, you know, I played the role of the caregiver and played the role of the mom. Mother hen. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I was the last one to get my pair of lightweight walking shoes. Now, I want to talk about the other kind of cold feet. Was there a point, Gabby, during this walk where you were like, okay, I'm done with this. Peace out. I need to stop and go back home. Yeah. Um, I remember calling my dad crying. It was more because 
I had had a fight with one of the people that were, were helping us out. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, can, can you please come pick me up? I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. Mm. And he paused and he said, okay, sure, I can go pick you up. But I just want to say that you made a promise to yourself that you were going to do this. And so are you going to break that promise? <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you, dad. That moment was a big about face for Gabby's dad and mom. You see, the Pacheco parents were against her doing this walk. Her activism had cost the family a great deal already. My parents felt that I was being ungrateful um, for the fact that I had been able to go to college and I had that had the support of my family and they were saying, and now you're going to just throw it all away. And I was like, no, you're missing the point. You know, I'm doing this for you. Mm. Rewind three years earlier. At age 21, before Gabby was a long walker, she was student body president and an activist for fellow undocumented students. One night late, say 2 a.m., Gabby came home from school. And around six in the morning, my sister was struggling me and telling me to get up, get up. All of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and there I saw this tall man, you know, this police officer. I noticed there was police officers all over the house waking everybody up, and they rounded us up in our living room. The officers in Gabby's home were from both Miami-Dade Police Department and from ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, the deportation police. They were looking for a particular person. They, they were looking for a Maria Pacheco. But as Latinos that we are, <laughs> everyone in my family is Maria Pacheco. <laughs> so my mom is Maria de Fatima. I'm Maria Gabriela. My sister is Erika Maria. So we were like, which one are you looking for? <laughs> we're, we are all Maria Pacheco. Yes. <laughs> Funny. But not funny. Gabby believes she was the intended Maria Pacheco. That's because she'd spent her whole young adult life as an activist, and that pissed some people off. Somebody called um, ICE and, and reported me and my family. The person that called was not happy about me flaunting myself, as they put it. In Gabby's home, with too many people to choose from, ICE agents got confused and took her two sisters and her parents. Gabby was left behind, calling lawyers for help. And then she says she got a call. It was ICE threatening her family. They threatened that if I didn't turn myself in, they were going to take them to different detention centers. And so my thought was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to fight my family's deportation when they're going to be you know, all throughout the, the United States? This is a point of leverage for ICE. They can immediately ship detainees to a prison anywhere across the U.S. No hearing required. So Gabby shows up, hoping that she's going to keep her family in the region. Also, at the exact time of the home raid, Gabby happens to have legal status. It's temporary, but she has a student visa. She says the ICE agents still tried to detain her. I started citing immigration law, and I remember like saying something like, Section 1.2 of blah, 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 immigration law states. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they knew that if they were going to try to do something to my family and myself, 
I was going to go out fighting. But at the same time, I also had to be strategic. And so I flirted with the guy. I, you name it, I tried to do whatever it took to get my family out of there. So the main guy heading the operations that day, he needed to go to the airport to pick up his daughter. So I thought to myself, okay, he is anxious about seeing his daughter. And so I'm going to personify the daughter and I'm going to use this to get him to have some sort of emotion, right? And to react from human being to human being. I was able to move him, right? Move his heart to one, return my visa and two, negotiate with him. And, and the negotiation that we had was that He told me, you know, not to speak to the media anymore and to stay quiet and not to share, you know, what had happened. And so I kind of promised and lied that I wasn't going to do that because <laughs> I've obviously <laughs> had talked to tons of media since then. Hours later, Gabby's parents and sisters get released, but their lives were irreparably damaged. They were now officially in deportation. They moved from in the shadows to very much on the radar with court dates, ICE visits, two with electronic monitors around their ankles. While people are never just one identity, Gabby's life became pretty singularly defined by that raid. It became the reason why I do what I do. It, it, it shook me to my core and it made me feel like I owed to my family to be the best daughter that I can be. You know, I put them in, in the predicament that they're in. Um, I understand, right, that it's a system and that it's a systemic problem that we have to change. But the guilt has been something that I think for a very long time started eating at my core and One of the main reasons why I, when I got asked, do you want to do this walk? I said yes, without hesitation. 1,298 miles. Carrie, North Carolina. The human face behind all of this. Gabby the and her co-walker, Felipe Matos, have spent years hiding from ICE. On this day, they decide to walk toward ICE to visit a nice prison. My message to you is, you know, I don't know you. I haven't had the opportunity to get to know right. you. I, I can't judge you. But I do believe that you have the ability to make change. They give the officer a gift. So I wanted to give you a gift as a, as a symbol of my humanity, our humanity, the humanity of... A sign that says, no human being is illegal. So here is my gift to you. All right, thank you. And uh, uh, I just wanted to hug you, you know. Uh -huh. And, th and th right. thank you so much for, you know. I'll put it in my office to remember everybody here today. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's first time I've had this happen to me. In this one small, strange moment... Gabby is seen, accepted by the people she felt wanted to erase her and her parents. A lot of us are having a hard time with talking to the other side, so to speak. Gabby, more than anybody else I know, has done that work. Her power absolutely rests in her capacity to handle, disarm, 
difference. She gravitates to awkward conversations and heated moments. And that's, in fact, what nonviolence means. When people think about nonviolence, they usually think about fighting, right? Like physical fighting, like fist fighting, or not reacting Uh, in a physical way, but it's more deep than that. You have to reframe and retrain your mind to cope with people's hate towards you. And it's actually understanding that you're putting yourself in the hands of danger and the way that the human would react to protect itself. You can't do that, right? You have to be at another level. So you mean like you have to unlearn or retrain yourself away from fear-based response and flip into a different mode of response? Right, and flip into a response of loving and caring and understanding. What Gabby's talking about here, it sounds hard and a little nebulous to me. She gave me this example to bring it home. On the walk, the dreamer stopped at a woman's college. A very angry, loud man showed up. Every time that we would try to speak, this man would just like start screaming and talking and talking over us. The type of guy a lot of us would want to punch in the face. But Gabby, she put in the effort to ask him questions. Gabby learned that this man's wife, his high school sweetheart, was dying of cancer. She couldn't get the transplant she needed because, in his mind, illegals like Gabby were draining health care. I remember talking to him and I remember, you know, just seeing how sad this man was and how scared he was that his wife was dying. And mm. in that moment, again, understanding, right, that people's, people are feeling actual pain. I have to acknowledge him as a human being. I have to make sure that he understands, right, what he said was wrong. But he has for sure, you know, the right to be wrong. <laughs> He is going to be wrong, you know, like he's imperfect. And so I believe in this wholeheartedly. I can't mistreat another human being because I'm being mistreated by them. This whole concept of hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can. I believe in that. After the break, Gabby Pacheco, who's won over Confederate flag bearers, who's hugged detractors, who's walked over a thousand miles in the wrong shoes, she finally arrives in Washington, D.C. Now she's going to corner the president. Do you really walk from Miami all the way here? <laughs> yes. Did you for real? Yes. Did you ever April 28, 2010, the nation's capital in the era of Barack Obama. Gabby Pacheco and her three co-walkers arrive having walked more than 1,500 miles. We're going to stay in Washington until we talk to him. They intend to speak to Obama. With them, they carry thousands of signatures, letters, stories of other migrants collected on their journey. You get to Washington, D.C. You want to meet directly with President Obama. Yes. You don't get that meeting. But he offers you a meeting with Valerie Jarrett, a senior advisor to him, somebody who has the ability to basically whisper into his ear. And your initial response is, 
no thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it took it took some people telling us, do you know who Valerie Jarrett is? <laughs> <laughs> um, you take that meeting. Um, and uh, we eventually said, oops, yeah, we want to meet with you. <laughs> Psych. Valerie Jarrett, okay, she is the Robin to Barack Obama's Batman. If you can't get Batman, you don't say no to Robin. The Dreamwalkers and Jarrett agree to meet in a church basement, not the White House. Gabby thinks that's because the White House is federal property, and having undocumented visitors, that could be bad optics. Gabby liked Jarrett. She was so gracious. She was trying really hard not to just say, this is just another meeting. Um, mm. I remember there was tears as we shared stories of what we had experienced um, and just acknowledging how historic that walk was. Gabby and her team have the chance to spell out their demand. And here is what it is. For decades, Congress has failed to pass an immigration bill. If they can't get their acts together, the president should use his power as chief executive, to give legal protection to undocumented students. It's not the kid's fault their parents don't have papers. Let them work and study in the U.S. until a permanent fix comes around. That demand is new, not mainstream at all yet. Gabby's team got a bunch of lawyers, top lawyers, to back them and argue, yeah, Mr. President, you have the power to do what these kids are demanding. What happens next, the next big development, it's something that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm not sure if it was the right or wrong move. The Dreamwalkers got their invite to the White House, but not all of them. Only one of the four, Juan, the only one of them who had legal residence at the time. Gabby felt this was not good enough. So she told Juan, who since transitioned and now goes by Isabel, this. It's, it's as if a piece of you is missing. You're missing parts of you, like a limb is missing. And so when you go see the president, you shouldn't shake his hand. Hmm. Hmm. And Isabel, wow. bravely, <laughs> I don't know if I could have done this one, but wow. when Obama went, you know, I think it was in the blue room with all these other immigrant rights leaders when he went around to shake Isabel's hand, Isabel put his um, hands behind his back and didn't shake his hand. Mm. Feels heavy. Yeah. It's like, I can't imagine meeting President Obama and, um, and not being willing to shake his hand. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it feels like the antithesis of what you described as a point of civil disobedience to engage with people to sort of open your arms to them, whatever may be coming from them. But here was, you know, the most powerful man in the world um, being disregarded because he disregarded us. And that's, that's what power is, right? The Obama administration did not bend to Gabby's will. His team said, sorry, we just cannot do what you're asking. It's beyond our executive power. The courts will strike it down. Immigration reform has got to come from Congress. And so Gabby goes home by plane this time, not foot. Deportations continue. Her issue is 
yet again in a holding pattern. Until two years later, the chessboard changes. Thank you. A dashing young leader enters the scene. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't say polo. That would have thrown us all off. Thank you so much. Meet Senator Marco Rubio. A real threat to Democrats, as he is a very charismatic Latino leader who was a potential threat, right, to the administration if he was to run in a ticket as a VP or even as a president. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, one of the heavy favorites to become Mitt Romney's vice president. Rubio wants to get an immigration bill passed for undocumented youth like Gabby. And turns out Gabby and Rubio go back. When she was student body president, he was Florida House Speaker. So he called me to share with me his idea and what he wanted to do. A proposal that I've been working on, it's an alternative to the so-called DREAM Act. Uh, Dream and in Act essence, was he was going to grant deferred action to stop deportations, but as a law, codified DACA in, in a way, right? Through the Congress. Through, through Congress, through a law, yeah. As opposed to an executive order by the president. Okay. Correct. And, and then we have a really nice discussion. I tell him, you know, are you real and do you really want to get this done? And he said, yes, Gabby, it's about time that we do something. We owe it to the community to do this. And he tells me, look, the only thing I ask you is that the moment you feel that you cannot support my legislation, that you let me know first that you're not going to be supporting it before you let the media know. And I Mm. said, deal. And so he's telling you that because by this point, he sees you as a political operative. You have a following. You have a base. People will pay attention to what Gabby Pacheco has to say. Correct. And so... As soon as Marco Rubio (laughs) tells me this, I'm like, okay, well, we can offer this to the White House and tell them, hey, Senator Rubio is going to be doing this. Who do you want us to support? (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to get the credit for this thing that's inevitably going to happen? Correct. So do you want us to support Senator Rubio or do you do this and you get the credit for it and Latinos go out and vote for you because you did something? Genius. So she tells Team Rubio, yeah, let's work together. And at the same time, she tells Team Obama, hey, I got another guy interested, just so you know. And did you get a response? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we got a meeting right away. And it was a whole meeting talking to us about how Marco Rubio was bad actor, um, that he was not going to be good to his word. And did you believe that? We believed it to an extent, but at the same time, we knew that we had them hooked. As soon as they started talking, bad-mouthing us about Marco Rubio and telling us not to support him, we knew that they knew that they were in trouble. And so then you kept basically both doors opened. You were non-committal and talking to both sides. Correct. Because that's what good advocacy and politics is about. But you caught a lot of heat for it, right? I mean, there were people who were part of your constituency, friends and allies of of yours. I was going to be responsible for the first African-American president losing his re-election campaign. That was heavy. (laughs) I was like, what? Wait. And I remember being so angry, um, being told that. And I, I said, no, I won't be responsible. It would be him, you know. 
He owes it to the community to do something about this. I'm not president, he's the president. And Gabby, did you personally care which way you got your demand? Did you care if it was through Rubio leading a congressional campaign or Obama passing an executive order? Yeah, honestly, I didn't. You know, I I felt that I didn't owe it to any party, you know, to do anything. As I was directing and leading this campaign, my job was to deliver on the promise of getting relief for our community. If it was going to be Republicans, great for them. If it was going to be Democrats, great for them. Democrats in the Senate began piling on Obama, telling him to act before Rubio could. The pressure mounted until... Good afternoon, everybody. This morning, Secretary Napolitano announced new actions my administration will take to mend our nation's immigration policy, uh, to make it more fair, more efficient, and more just, specifically for certain young people, sometimes called dreamers. On June 15th, 2012, two years, six months, 15 days after Gabby Pacheco wrapped her feet in duct tape, she won. Effective immediately, the Department of Homeland Security is taking steps to lift the shadow of deportation from these young people. The most powerful man on earth bent to her will. He signed an executive order to give work permits and temporary legal status to undocumented youth like her under a program that's come to be known as DACA. I felt seen. I felt human. I felt like we mattered. Finally, we were being recognized. People were going to be freed from the fear that they had been in and that they were going to be allowed to do things that they couldn't do before. Drive with a license, work with a social security number, go to school, travel. The weight that was lifted off of our shoulders today is immense. It is a moment of celebration. I'm going to be able to to work for this community that, uh, this country that, it's my country, it's my country. By the end of last year, more than 827,000 undocumented youth got DACA. That's about 552 people per mile Gabby walked. A damn good return on investment. Good morning. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA, that was effectuated under the Obama administration, is being rescinded. The Trump era was, not surprisingly, hard for Gabby Pacheco. The former president signed an executive order to cancel out Obama's order, to reverse everything Gabby had worked for. It it felt like I had been working to create this knot, this perfectly beautiful knot and somebody just runs and pulls one side and completely undoes it. Notably, Trump was not able to unravel it completely. Gabby's campaign, it created a new normal 
the Supreme Court overruled Trump. The majority said his move was, quote, arbitrary and capricious. They would not let him undo what Gabby and her team had done. That said, she and so many others were under direct threat. It was terrifying. And the Trump era absolutely changed the culture of America. I kind of wanted Gabby to give us a pep talk about how to stretch our hands and win over presumed enemies. That didn't happen, friends. What she did a decade ago, Gabby says, it would be harder in today's America. It would be so much harder, yeah. Because we're not talking about, you know, oh, the media told me this, right? Or I learned this uh, listening to a, a podcast or a radio station. It's, it's coming from the president of the United States. And why would the president of the United States lie to me? So he's no longer president, though, right? Like, he's not president anymore. But so. he's, he's, he was the president of the United States. That it doesn't really matter. Like his, he has power, and and for me, that's very scary to think about. You know what he is going to be doing. You know now that he's retired, <laughs> now that he has more time in his hands. I mean, Gabby, I guess like, and maybe this portrays um, an evolution in your thought or my lack of understanding about how you think of things. But I kind of guessed, I kind of assumed that you were going to be the lady who got on this show and said, you know, hey, listeners to Art of Power, yeah, I I reached across the aisle, so to speak. I spoke to the quote-unquote enemy. I had the KKK in my face. I had people threaten to kill me, and I had all those hard conversations, and you can too. But that's not really what you're saying. (sighs) I'm saying you can do all that. It just become it has become much more harder to do now. Has your own thoughts about it shifted? Do you feel like that work is less um, less urgent and less powerful? Oh no, it's, than it's other the kinds opposite. Of work right now? It's it's now is the time to have the conversations. Now now is not the time to let the individuals who think less like you or unlike you, or different than you, to stop talking to them. I'm like, n- there's a sense of urgency to have the dialogue, to to do the hard work now. On January 6th, I was sick to my stomach to see what was happening. And I thought that with the election of Biden, the rise of power of Trump was kind of the last era that we were going to see, Right the level of racism and white nationalism, et cetera. I actually think now is it's the opposite. I think they're more powerful than ever. And if we don't nip it in the butt now, that in 10, 15, 20 years, they can become a very powerful force in this country. I don't mean to end on a heavy note. Just trying to be real with you. My lessons from Gabby Pacheco. One, the long walk. Create a physical opportunity for other people to witness your determination, interact, and merge. Two, nonviolence is not turning the other cheek. It is rewiring your inner response 
from fear to compassion. And three, when you manage to pull off a big change to create a new normal, it cannot be easily reversed, not even by the most powerful man on earth. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull, Candace Mattel-Khan, our intern Hina Srivastava, who makes magic happen, and me, Arthi Shahani. It was mixed by Mixmaster Colin McNulty, and our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. He is the Charlie to our angels. A bit of music in this episode licensed via Blue Dot Sessions. Okay, now's the part of the show where I ask you for a favor. Concrete call to action. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Your recommendation goes a long way. Also, subscribe to Art of Power on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, let me know what you think. Text me. I'm at 917-708-5139. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Arthi411. I want to hear from you. That's it. We'll see you next week. Hi there, it's me again, Arthi Shahani, post-credits, speaking to you after we aired this episode. We have an update. One of our listeners reached out with a very kind and eye-opening message. Shruti Mohan wrote to say she was taken by Gabby's spectacular story, but also concerned about how we used the dead name, the name before transition, of Isabel, the transgender activist on Gabby's team. I'm going to level with you. My team and I didn't know we were supposed to ask Isabel, which name do you prefer? I assume that when talking about a public figure, it's correct to use the legal name at the time of the events covered. I, we, got it wrong. According to the Trans Journalists Association, the best practice would have been to ask first. Once we learned that, we reached out to Isabel. She told us that she's perfectly at peace with people using the name Juan in the context of the Trail of Dreams, so long as her transition and name Isabel are referenced as well. She also reflected on what it's like to be a public figure who's transitioned. Quote, reclaiming the past with a new name takes a lot of work. And you all mentioning my current name in the podcast helps to bring people from the past into the present. So thank you for helping me in that way. Thank you, Isabel, for answering the question we should have asked sooner. There is no change to the content of this episode. But moving forward, our process when encountering trans identities will change. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.